there, my risk rabbits. It's always great to hear from you, and it's great to be back for another episode of the stateofsecurity.com podcast, sponsored, of course, by MSI, Microsoft, Inc. And uh, this time around, it's just me, no interviews. This is one of our new uh, formats called a tidbit episode. So we try to keep these pretty short and to the point. Uh, This time, we're going to talk about uh, a presentation that I gave at the Central Ohio CIO and CISO group. That was really focused on some some security questions that you should be asking uh, cloud service providers. I also give an update for the spring of what what we've been up to over the winter at MSI, Uh, what's been going on in the lab, what are some of our research and development efforts are going to, and an update on uh, our work on Silent Tiger. So all of that's in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Just sit back, relax, put me on. If you're on the treadmill or uh, listening to this podcast while you work out, uh, more power to you. I think that's a really cool time to listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of them uh, while I'm in the gym, although you may not be able to to tell that from uh, my figure, but uh, I just... Uh, Anyway, I I hope you enjoy the episode. Please give us some feedback on who else you would like us to talk to and do interviews with. What topics would you like us to explore? And uh, if you've got any ideas that uh, you'd like us to run with, please let us know. If you've got some, if you'd like to be on the podcast and and, uh, talk through a security or risk scenario or uh, anything like that, we're always happy to hear that as well. So in the meantime, uh, please listen to this tip bit episode and uh, I really hope you enjoy it here uh, without further ado is more information about cloud security and cloud providers see you soon so a couple of weeks ago I gave a talk to the central Ohio CIOs and that talk was called questioning the clouds and the subtitle was Rational Doubt in the Age of Aggregated Computing. Now, I talk about this a little bit because uh, I shared this deck on the statussecurity.com blog, but uh, I really wanted to take just a couple of minutes and walk through some of the high points in this presentation. Building it was kind of fun for me. I was asked to build it for the group, and a couple of things that got me here over the last few years as we've been doing a lot of our Tiger Tracks and Silent Tiger, uh, Targeted Threat Intelligence and Passive Assessment work, uh, we've been doing that for a lot of companies that have global brands. So they have uh, sites that are hosted and localized all around the world. Many of those sites are are hosted and localized in uh, cloud service providers and other locations, co-hosting locations just all across the planet. So as we've kind of done some of this, we walked through a number of these sorts of migrations. Um, We've done a number of cloud lifting projects, and we've done a lot of segmentation of network projects that have have been engaged with and uh, used a lot of these hosting platforms. And uh, if you hear that uh, background noise, that's uh, Pete, Uh, my mascot dog uh, hanging out with me. She's got a little sneeze here. We're recording from 
my Fortress of Solitude location in Ohio today. So if you hear a little bit of background noise, please pardon. That's just Pete uh, moving around. But as I was saying, I, I built this deck really talking about what are some of the things that uh, are uncommon wisdom that we should be asking cloud vendors, talking to cloud vendors about. And, I, and I'm talking about largely well beyond your standard SLA questions and selection questions. So that's kind of how, how I got here. Of course, you can learn a lot about uh, how to secure your cloud lifts and, and cloud environments as well as data in transit between uh, different segments and different cloud operators. There's a lot of that information out at cloudsecurityalliance.org. That's really the community's best place for controls and best practices and standards and all of the sort of research stuff that you would expect that is going on right now. And again, if you haven't worked with Cloud Security Alliance before, uh, really this is some stuff that you should be reading, you should be adopting. Uh, feel free to leverage that community. And of course, anytime you can participate and, and give back in that community, there's a lot of good work going on uh, in that part of the community right now. So uh, that said, I want to talk about a couple of myths first. So a lot of the times when we talk to these cloud providers and we talk to these co-hosting companies that are pushing themselves uh, into sort of the cloud feel, a lot of the things that they say right off the bat is, well, we're just better at information security than, uh, you know, the companies that are our customers. And I, I think I've heard this so many times that it really caused me to, to step back and start questioning it. And some of the things that, that I've seen that have impacted my thoughts on this are things like, it is network security and, and protecting and providing quality network services uh, among the only things that they do? Is that their only focus? And, and this question often sadly turns out to be no. A, a lot of times, especially as you move away from the U.S. and into developing economies, hosting and cloud service providing and computation services tends to be a smaller part of their business. And it's often an offshoot of some other advisory or consulting service, or maybe they're also doing logistics uh, or they're running a call center. As you kind of think about the more fragmented that their business offerings are, it, it's likely that the less uh, sort of attention to detail and capability and focus they're likely to have on providing uh, truly secure computational environments. Another couple of questions that came out of this is the, the first question we've gotten so much mileage from is, do you use your own environment? If you are a cloud service provider and you're not hosting in your own environment and you're not serving from your own environment and you're not using your own uh, technologies on a day-to-day -day basis, why is that? If they come back and they say, yes, they are, uh, we've gotten a lot of mileage out of asking them, well, how do you segment? 
specifically. How do you segment your workstations and, and your average day-to-day users from the cloud administration systems? How do you uh, segment your systems away from customer systems? And what controls you know, are you using that you consider to be the most critical? And this is really nice. Not so much that you're validating what they have, but really this has turned out to be a very leveraged position with these folks because these are controls they already know how to use. They know how to implement. They hopefully have some working knowledge of. And so duplicating their control environment uh, to a large extent has had a really quick payoff for our customers. So just simply asking some of those questions about their day-to-day processes and then trying to map that back to things that you can use certainly has seemed to be a shortcut. Another good question that we've learned to ask is how complex are their network application and management environments? Um, Ask them for uh, walkthroughs of how they set up hosts, how they tear down hosts. Um, How do they manage uh, hosts ongoing? And what you're looking for here is, of course, sanctity of process, right? You want to make sure that they have good, strong processes. But at the same time, you're trying to understand how complex their processes are. Obviously, the more complex they are, the less security they're going to have. Security and complexity are not really friends. Another piece of that is uh, if they make the claim that they have a lot of security personnel or a lot of folks that are skilled in information security, do tools like LinkedIn support that claim? It's really easy to sort of dig in and see who works at an organization now and what their sort of certification and backgrounds are. Um, A lot of times, especially again in these emerging markets, we see that they have one person who might have these skills and maybe they're serving hundreds to a thousand customers. That scale probably isn't effective. So, you know, if they're going to make these claims, uh, verify that they have the talent to support them. Now, in this next part, I kind of then moved to talking to the CIOs about cloud breaches. And I think one of the things that, that uh, comes up here again is sort of uh, just a focus on language. Um, I think it's really, really good to define up front in your SLA what a breach, a compromise, an incident, an investigation, and breach reporting is. I think the clearer that this information is, the easier it is to for them to operate, and certainly the easier it is for you uh, to sort of talk to regulators and auditors about the messaging. Um, so I think the lesson here we've learned is ask for really clear written legal definitions of what those terms are and add that stuff into your SLA. Now, here's why this matters. You have to really pay attention to some of these mid and low band uh, providers and the way that they're going to notify you that uh, they've had a breach or an investigation or that there are problems. One of the big, biggest things that we've seen, we dealt with a provider in Asia just recently, and we said, you know, you're not, you're not alerting us when you're going to have outages and, or if you're going to not meet the terms of the SLA. And they said, well, you know, we've been notifying you. And the problem here was, according to the SLA that the customer defined, 
they only had 48 hours after a notification to make a claim for financial uh, reimbursement. And so we started really digging into this. And it turns out what these folks were doing, their notification process was they had a nice notification email. And then what it appeared to be, they would add intentionally typos and spam sort of messages to the end of the notification email. And of course, what would happen then is the email would come in, uh, it would go ahead and get flagged as spam, and folks would never see that notification message, and thus we, the, the client would miss that and not make the window in order to notify them for reimbursement. Another one that we've seen uh, from a, uh, again, this was in, in Asia, uh, a hosting provider, uh, they sent us to a URL. The URL had a breach notification. And when we looked at that uh, breach notification on that page, the whole page was white. The notification language was uh, literally white text on a white background. So anybody going to that page uh, might see it. They, they might see the page, uh, not think anything of it, maybe think it was an error or something like that and move on. And they, these folks are using the breach notification, the problem notification investment or uh, uh, investigation notification process. They're intentionally tweaking that uh, in order to essentially reduce their number of claims. So you want to you want to look for those kind of things. Make, you know, make it very clear that there are specific ways that you need to be notified, and uh, make it very clear in the contract as to to what that is. So let's kind of change for a minute. Uh, again, the view here we've talked about the notification process. I think a little bit. Uh, I then covered sort of how bad guys think about uh, cloud service providers. And I really talked about a symmetry in this section, the, the basic idea that attackers have a risk. They, they are uh, essentially trying to perform an attack to gain some form of information, and there's a risk to them to do so. Obviously, there's some asymmetry here. They have to be right only one time. Uh, defenders have to be right every time. But there's some other asymmetry here in that is that if an attacker uh, can find a data-dense target, like a cloud service provider, where, for example, they might be able to perform one attack and get large amounts of data, obviously the more data they get, uh, the more asymmetric uh, that attack for them. So the, the greater it is worth the risk. So this goes back to something we've been talking about at MSI for Oh, probably the last four or five years. It comes from our Operation Aikido research, and it does show that to some extent there is a correlation uh, between data density, uh, that is the amount of data that collects in a given uh, cloud service or provider surface, uh, and that the willingness of attackers to go greater lengths to get to that data. So this is sort of rational. Again, the more data there is there, uh, the larger the return for the attacker, the more likely they are to invest in uh, more advanced uh, attacks or higher resource, higher risk attacks. 
Um, now, the other piece about this is whenever we talk about a, a attacker asymmetry is always uh, to keep in mind the idea that uh, financial asymmetry is also on the attacker's side. One of the things that is sort of interesting is defenders often underestimate the value of data. Um, and they often sort of lock themselves into the idea of we're going to spend X uh, amount of dollars because the data is worth Y uh, to an attacker. Um, but when you start to dig into that, that, that might be a good stance. It might not. It really depends on the maturity of the calculation. But a lot of times folks fail to understand that uh, much of this data can be sold and resold and resold on the underground markets. And so there's sort of a, uh, a value curve, if you will, of data on the market. It's not just a flat uh, one record equals some number of dollars. Uh, it might be that per transaction, and they can repeat that transaction as long as the data is essentially valid. So you have to sort of remember that that asymmetry exists as well. It's not a direct X to Y correlation. How that affects you, of course, is you want to be more careful of cloud service providers that are capturing large amounts of specific data that have uh, high values in, uh, on the black market. So you want to make sure that those folks are, are uh, investing heavily in information security. Um, also, you might not want to take on that risk profile. So, for example, if you've got uh, a cloud service provider or a co-hosting location that's doing private cloud hosting for a whole bunch of hospitals and you want to stand up a, a simple web uh, page to collect credit card information and payment information, it may not be worth uh, your time to, to invest and put your, uh, your data there when the risk profile is so much higher than your, the, the type of risk profile that your data might have. So given that attackers might come to that site, they're willing to expend more resources because healthcare data is uh, more valuable than credit cards on the market. You might want to move that to a space uh, which is more in line with uh, the, the capabilities or risk profile uh, that you might have for your data. Uh, from there, I moved into talking about uh, backplaning. Uh, this is sort of the common uh, cloud threat that we see every day, backplaning. Of course, you can read more about this on statedsecurity.com or you can talk to any of the MSI folks. Uh, but backplaning is basically when you've got shared hosting of sites and these hosts are usually housed on the same VM or oftentimes uh, they're in literally one instance inside of a VM and they do things like uh, Apache content sharing and stuff like that. The problem here is, is that attackers have gotten very wise to this uh, and the information security in that environment is only as strong as the weakest of the sites. Uh, so for example, if you've got a bunch of uh, e-commerce stuff that you're hosting and maybe you're on that same uh, VM, there are other people hosting websites for their camera club and their their church or uh, a ski club, those folks might be running uh, weekend content management software. You might be patching your system up and, and keeping it uh, completely secure. But if uh, an attacker can break into that machine or that VM instance using one of the other weaker sites, a lot of times they can get a web shell or they can gain access to the operating system 
which um, in, sadly in many cases has proven to expose uh, the other sites hosted on that machine. Now, I'm not talking about ho- hopping across uh, VMs and attacks against hypervisors and all that. Uh, that exists too, of course, although uh, there's all kinds of paranoia about that and, and the levels of it. I'll leave that for another discussion. Uh, but I'm just talking about simplified hosting environments, which you'll see, particularly as you move outside of uh, first-tier vendors and uh, in emerging markets and, and uh, outside of, of uh, sort of developed uh, hosting markets. So uh, you want to watch out for that. Just be careful where you stick your hosts uh, out there in the hosted environment. Uh, specifically, some questions here start to ask them about how do they decide on host allocation and placement? Uh, do they just, is it round robin? Is it first come, first serve? How do they monitor site content and behavior? Uh, what type of intrusion detection systems are they using? What type of log monitoring? And then can you show us some examples of what your site separation um, model looks like in detail? Those questions have uh, proven to be really useful to us in the field. So uh, I then closed the presentation talking really about what CISOs and CIOs could do about these uh, cloud environments and, and, you know, asking these kinds of questions. It came down to, you know, really five key points, obviously, uh, risk assessment and vendor selection still matter. We talked about the fact that you need to really generate and maintain really good attack surface maps for all environments, especially your cloud uh, environments. You want to make sure that you've got ongoing threat models for that data, that you've got ongoing assessment. Um, if you can't do active assessment against your cloud environments, you might consider uh, doing things like targeted threat intelligence or passive assessments uh, using something like our Silent Tiger uh, tool. And we talked about really running periodic tabletop exercises, uh, which we've run for another whole group of customers, where you essentially practice and, and refine the maps and processes and you practice for different outages and breach scenarios at the tabletop so that uh, should that day ever occur, uh, you're a little bit uh, more polished on those days. So that was it. That was kind of my coverage and talk. Again, that was called Questioning the Clouds. Uh, the deck is up on statussecurity.com uh, if you want to see it. But I hope uh, you enjoyed the overview and sort of talk through the presentation. It was certainly a fun presentation to build and give, and it let us really talk through uh, some of the lessons we've learned over the last several years in and around uh, cloud computing. So uh, hope that was useful, and I'll talk to you soon. So several listeners have asked for me to give kind of an update of what I've been working on uh, the last few months. I've been pretty quiet on social media, and I haven't uh, really talked a lot publicly about some of the things that I've been doing. As you guys probably know, I've really kind of stepped out of the presenting and giving talks at conferences space, really to focus on this, trying to come up with a good framework and uh, build out the podcast. So I've spent the last year or so really kind of thinking about that, working on it, putting it together, and hopefully uh, you'll kind of see some of those changes coming up. I talked a little bit about them in the episode at the beginning of 2017. So here we are. It's uh, 
I'm recording this on the end of May in 2017, and I have spent really the last probably six months focused pretty heavily on developing the Silent Tiger platform and growing that platform and automating uh, the front end and back end of that platform. So uh, myself and and Adam Hostetler, we've been working very, very uh, diligently along with some other members of the MSI team, doing a lot of testing and and using the Silent Tiger platform. Um, For those of you not familiar, the Silent Tiger platform is a slice of our Tiger Tracks data mining and analytics platform. Uh, It's specifically designed for performing passive security assessment and targeted threat intelligence for clients. We've got clients now all around the world that are using this uh, service to provide both one-time looks at organizations, but also to provide ongoing uh, threat intelligence for their uh, particular environment. Now, when I say threat intelligence in today's world, there's so many definitions for this. This is not a list of IOCs or blacklists that you use to tune Uh, IDS, IPS, or whatever. This is really monitoring underground activity, some security posture information about you, but what conversations are going on about your brand, uh, about where your your systems are located, uh, what information is known to the world about your systems or the places that use your brand. It's all of that kind of stuff tied up into a service. And um, we're kind of working on building this out into a software as a service platform. Uh, we hope to have that still done uh, this year. But really, we've, we've built a back end that now uh, allows all of this data that's generated by the process to be ingested either by humans or we can generate it out as JSON or in other data formats that uh, can be sucked right into ArcSight or uh, QRadar or some SIM if you want to use it for uh, ticketing or other types of uh, analytics and, and uh, monitoring activity. So we, we spent a lot of time on that. Um, we also built an uh, automatic generation tool for generating Silent Tiger configurations. Uh, so we've, we've built a whole front end for that now so that uh, we could simplify the, the data gathering process from customers for those engagements. So we, we're really working hard on that. It's become a core process here at MSI. We include it now in most of our penetration tests. Uh, even the footprinting alone, the sort of uh, automated profiling of, of folks up front has proven to have some problem-solving solutions for customers. So we've been really working heavily on that uh, over the last six months. Now, as an offshoot of that, we also sort of started working around doing data class or, or uh, excuse me, language classification and doing some other uh, language-based analytics and flow-based analytics, uh, some of this uh, research. That led me to build my own platform uh, called Teardown. And Teardown, uh, we haven't released this beyond internally. We we are using it for uh, internal engagements at this point. 
Uh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it uh, long term. But Teardown has become a platform designed for rapid learning. And if you're familiar with Aristotle's first principles or some of the work that Tim Ferriss has done around deconstruction, uh, this is a tool base and and a computing platform designed to automate deconstruction and build analytical models of uh, different types of language data that allow you to very quickly deconstruct a given skill or a given process or a given set of information, mine that out of the out of the web and uh, deconstruct it, turn it into learning principles. And it gives you a really quick way to uh, perform that learning. Um, so we've been using Teardown and, and uh, kind of alpha testing that uh, for the last six months or so. We've got some web-based tools to, uh, to make that happen and make it easier to use. Uh, we're doing some data uh, processing and, and sort of uh, speeding up some of the, the data mining techniques and different um, uh, supervised learning models that we're doing uh, around that data. Uh, so there's a lot of work going on there, and it's really playing a good part into our consulting practices. We're able to look at these large volumes of data around very specific types of questions or looking at very specific types of uh, regulatory information and essentially learn them very rapidly and be able to assess different programs or uh, perform different expert-based uh, types of roles with that data. So uh, very, very, very interesting uh, that we've, working, we've been working in that space. Uh, sort of the offshoot of that, we also built a, a tool that we call Optionality. Um, and Optionality is literally a scenario generator. You design scenarios in uh, both at the meta scale and so you can think of it as like strategic uh, data level and then you can further define the variables and scenarios uh, at the tactical level and then optionality essentially models those scenarios uh, and is capable of doing a variety of types of uh, derivation of scenarios. So a few things that you can do here with this, you can look at uh, projects and their potential fail states. Uh, you can model out where the most likely uh, fail states uh, or, or mistakes are uh, in a project plan. You can do things like look at a risk assessment feed in a company's uh, risk profiles or maybe information about their operation, and it can generate risk-based scenarios. It's been really good for, uh, you know, sort of being able to define how unta- uh, attack scenarios might unfold. It's also been really useful to us as we've used it to derive scenarios for our uh, tabletop sort of training and, and incident response and forensics type training. So we're using that tool pretty heavily. Again, that's optionality. I don't know what we're going to do with that long term. We may make some of this stuff available to clients, uh, but right now we're using it internally and that's uh, that's been sort of a, a core focus uh, for what we're doing. Of course, the uh, penetration testing and uh, hardware software application testing lab has been very busy. Uh, we've been working pretty heavily 
on all kinds of medical devices, uh, some consumer devices, and we've been testing a lot of uh, mobile device applications uh, in the lab for the last uh, six months. Winter was really busy in the lab. Uh, we tested a lot of uh, medical devices and robotics uh, during that time frame. Uh, and lately, for some reason, whatever uh, reason that is, uh, web application and mobile application has just, uh, it's been overwhelming us. We're, we're really doing a lot of those in the financial space right now. So uh, the lab is, is continuing to stay uh, very busy. And of course, uh, as always, our ongoing incident response work and uh, vulnerability assessment, penetration testing, threat intelligence work, all the things that we've been doing for now almost 25 years. So that's sort of our spring update. If you have any questions about kind of what we're working on, as, as always, I'll be as uh, open as I can. Uh, there are some things that we work on that are pretty sensitive and we don't make those public. Uh, but I'm always happy to talk through uh, kind of what's going on in the lab. You can always hit me up on Twitter if you'd like. I'm at LB Houston, at L-B-H-U-S-T-O-N, of course. Or uh, you can hit me up uh, via email. Uh, it's easy to find my email address around. So hopefully uh, that makes more sense. It tells you kind of what we're doing. And uh, I hope you're staying busy as well and focusing on making the security world a better place. Talk to you soon. One more thing before you go, folks, this time around, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, it's been really cool to do this show about clouds and to give you the sort of spring update on MSI. We really appreciate it. As always, anytime you need some security advice, security services, you want to talk about Honeypoint, uh, you want to hear about our threat intelligence work, anything like that, always look us up. We're at Twitter. We're at Microsolved on Twitter. That's M-I-C-R-O-S-O-L-V-E-D. You can get me on Twitter at L-B-H-U-S-T-O-N. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on this spring and into summer. We're doing a lot of promotions for Honeypoint. Uh, if you still haven't played with Honeypoint or you're interested in putting up an enterprise honeypot or intrusion deception tool, please feel free to give us a call. We'd love to talk with you about Honeypoint. We've had folks using it now for just over a decade and all around the world, all kinds of verticals, very cool stuff going on in that space. Watch for upcoming episodes of the podcast. I think um, we're trying to get into a good cadence here. And we're sort of changing up, uh, as you heard in the intro, uh, changing up some of this uh, focus. So this has been a tidbit episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And please let us know what you think. If there are things that you'd like to hear more about, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. And we'll talk to you soon. Until next time, stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.